a man named Ken Spitzer and another man named Mike McVeigh said, you know what? We believe in you and we're willing to put our money where our mouth is and we're going to help you get syndicated. And they took it from three stations to 12 stations in one year. And we were number one on all 12 stations. And they said, okay, now we're going to shop you. And they sold me to a company in Seattle. So I was able to not just move home, Drew, but move to the house that I bought in 1982 when I was 21 years old. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Hey, everybody. How to do That's my cowboy voice. (laughs) Welcome to At Home with Linda and Drew Scott. This is a show where we chat with artists, experts, dreamers, and doers about what makes us feel most at home. What makes us feel at home? I think Mm. a good cooked meal, a nice warm bed. Nice pillow. You're my pillow. A little bit of cuddling. Here's my pillow. Why is it you're always the big spoon? I don't get that. Because I'm the boss. Well, whatever makes you feel at home, welcome to At Home. I have to say, this was a beautiful weekend, sunny days. It was a little too warm. Linda and I love a daily walk, even though it's been like a week since we've done the daily walk. But the evenings have been perfect. Oh, I wasn't sure what you were getting at. <laughs> just, you know. I was just waiting. Like, what? I don't like, I don't like to sweat on my walks, but the evening strolls I love were when nice. You sweat. Work it, work it. I got distracted because we're sitting on this bench and I feel like Drew is going to break it. I'm I'm like straddling one end. And I'm and he's shimmying kind of and shaking the on middle. the other one. So this is the thing. We're trying a different seat. We have two nice comfy chairs that kind of swivel and you can sink into them. But I have a bench in here that I was attempting to Every use. Every time you like hand talk, the whole thing shakes and I feel like it's gonna split in half. <laughs> it's kind of scary. I'll have to resecure the legs. <laughs> So that's your only thing you remember from this weekend? Oh, oh, I is that what you asked me? Sorry. Um Legoland. We went to Legoland and it was it was great. It was actually great. It was uh, fun. We were there with the family and and you know, just seeing every creativity is what I love. And so seeing all these kids just trying to, you know, make their most creative Lego swords or keys. They were they're really obsessed with making keys like to open invisible doors. You made a lovely key too. I did and then I broke it and I cried. Mm. And I didn't. <laughs> you know what was funny? We were at the midway playing one of the games, and I was like, "Just watch. One kid is going to win, and the others are going to cry." And that is exactly what yeah. happened. Yeah. And then on to the next game, another one won, and the others cried. And for <laughs> for, the, for us big kids, I got a little addicted to Ted Lasso over the last week. We've been watching. We're done season one. We're into season two. It's we so funny. Season one. It's so funny. And I just, we all need to be a little more like Ted. Yeah. Jason Sudeikis is hilarious. The writing, whoever the writers are, I'm sure Jason's one of the writers. They're very, very funny. It's uh, And it's a feel-good kind of show. So if you mm-hmm. haven't checked it out on Apple TV, check out Ted Lasso. What else have we been watching? Oh, we watched, I always want to say East of Maritown, Mayor of Easttown. Hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Kate Winslet. <laughs> Complete opposite vibe of Ted Lasso. Yeah, sort of this sort of murder mystery thriller kind of a thing. So good. Really so depressing. well acted. Very sad. Makes mm-hmm. me remember the small town I grew up in. What? But not the murder. Oh, come on. Not, not the murder side. Was, wow. <laughs> uh, no, small town, Maple Ridge. Yeah, I don't think your small town was that bad. Well, no, it's it's not like that. But I mean, just still the scenery and everything, just and the the vibe okay. of the people makes me feel, you know, reminisce about small town. Okay. 
You grew up in the big city. You're not used to small town. True. I do like small towns. Speaking of reminiscing, mm. our guest <gasps> our guest today is making me reminisce about my time in the small town. Takes because us way back. I would sit and listen to the radio and I would hear the theme song come on and I would try and call in and get and answers. your love. Yes. Well, the whole thing is I was I started listening when I was really young. So it was actually more of a prank call when I would call in. And then I got a little older. I'm like, yeah, I actually have some dating woes and questions I, I want to ask. So, mm. yes. Oh, and now? Well, these these are my personal memoirs of De- Delilah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is our guest today, Delilah. Delilah. She's an inductee into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Literally, if you don't know who Delilah is, I think you have never listened to radio. She's everywhere. Yeah. She's authored four books. She is the founder of Point Hope. It's a five-acre working farm. It's a 55-acre. 55-acre, I meant I meant to say that. I did know that. <laughs> but Add another five. Point Hope is a foundation she established in 2004 as a voice for forgotten children everywhere. She's an advocate for reform in the foster care system. And the immediate focus of the foundation, Point Hope, is to support children in the U.S. foster care system, as well as refugee and other vulnerable children in Ghana. With Delilah, what I really love is her voice to me is like a nice warm hug. Oh my God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course it makes sense. She's just been a voice in our lives forever. Mm-hmm. And this? she is like that that friend who we have never met yet until but today. Now we have this is Delilah. Delilah. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. <laughs> my security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. <laughs> Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. So we've been listening to you for years. And I mean, I'm a little older than Linda. I've been listening to you since I was a kid. And I just realized this is the first time I have ever seen you physically. I've only ever listened. I've never seen your face. All right. So close your eyes and tell me when you hear my voice saying... Sit back, relax, unwind. What did you picture? You know what? To be honest, I I pictured that you would be almost like like a lot older because you're you're you 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 look youthful and you have this fun energy. But I thought you would have been a lot older. I thought you would have been uh, sort of like in Lord of the Rings when they found Gandalf and he's this old wise wizard. I almost figured that with a soothing soothing I- voice. You I, I don't know, actually. I, I think it is so fascinating that your voice, who we are all familiar with, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just always been a voice of comfort for me. Thank I, you. Well, I think that's It's so thing. funny because people have actually argued with me. They're like, no, you're not Delilah. <laughs> yeah. 
No, you're not. My dogs are barking because my son is outside playing. No, you're not Delilah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. No, you're not. You don't look like Delilah. <laughs> what am I supposed to look like? Right. <laughs> well, you've got long, dark hair and you've got this dark, beautiful skin. And I'm like, hmm. I didn't know that. No. <laughs> See, I, I was thinking to, you know, millions of people tune in uh, to listen to your show and because you're a soothing voice too. So when you talk to people, like, you're not Delilah. You're like, hold on a second. How about now? <laughs> How about now? How about it, now? It, it is. Please, a- officer, don't write me that ticket. Well, you know, go ahead. Give it to whoever you think Delilah is. Because yeah. clearly, I wasn't the one speeding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should tell you this or if I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway because we love you and you're amazing. Um, so first time I tried to call in and reach out to you, I was a young teenager and I was doing it as a prank in the sense of I wanted to pretend to be someone older and pretend I had relationship woes because I did listen and I was just being a, a, a dumb 13, 14 year old. Or maybe you're just being a teenager who wanted to be in love. Maybe I did. But but the thing is, I was a young teenager, but I would listen. Even though I was like with my friends, you know, at the friend of the time we're doing, it wasn't a, a prank in the sense of something bad, but we were going to pretend to have a relationship while we wanted to talk about. Um, but then I was thinking about it as, as I got older. I'm like, it is funny because here I am as a teenager and I'm not out doing whatever the other kids are doing. I am literally listening to your show every night. And then as a late teenager, when I actually was getting into the more of the sort of relation, relationship woes, I called back and I actually did get through. I can't remember now if I got through, if it was a call in line or if I spoke to you. I, I honestly can't remember what the, what the issue was that I was talking about, but there was a conversation or a message I left, whatever it might have been, but I never got my song. <laughs> I never got my song. Well, I have not had a call screener for many, many years. Um, Mm. I used to. I used to have people that screen my calls. But then I realized by the time somebody got to talk to me, they've already told the story. Uh, And I only got like the the scraps. It's like they already ate the meal and I was getting the scraps. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to answer my own calls. So that's how I run the show now. I just answer my own calls and people are like, yeah, I'd like to talk to Delilah. Mm This is Delilah. No, I, I know it's the Delilah show, but I really need to talk to Delilah. No, this this really is Delilah, and, and you're really being recorded right now. Yeah, so tell me your story. Now. You know, my producer, Janie, she'll kill me for telling her this, but she and I met because she was being a jerk. Um, she scripted a whole conversation, and then she put her little brother up to calling me and reading it. Really? If I would fall for it, and I did. <gasps> and yeah. are you going to share the story? Well, her she has she is one of seven children, and each one is beautiful. Like you know, usually when there's a big family of five, six, seven children, there's at least one ugly one. That's me. Um, <laughs> her family, they're all stinking gorgeous, <laughs> and her oldest sister is. Like she could have her own TV show. She could she could be Miss America or Mrs. America. She's just stunning. Mm-hmm. Skinny, thin, fit, works out, eats healthy. And so Janie wrote this whole script. And, and she works at a big company where everybody listened to me at night on the whole floor. It was an insurance <laughs> processing company. So 400 employees all listening to Delilah. And so Janie wrote the script and she had her brother call and say, you know, congratulations to my older sister. She's recently lost 200 pounds and she's quit smoking 
And, and he's telling me all these great things his sister's done. I'm like, oh my God, that's awesome. I'm so <laughs> proud of her. Yay, Bev Tardif, way to go. All made up. And she's at work. And all of her office is like, wait a minute. When did you lose 200 pounds? When did you quit smoking cigars? What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. And now she's and your so producer. about two days later, Janie calls. She wasn't going to ever let me know she did this. But she called and come to find out she was a producer of a local morning show. <sighs> And I'm like, wow, you know, you sound awesome. I don't know anybody in this town. I just moved here with my son and I'd, I got tickets to a play. Would you like to go? And she's like, uh, uh. <laughs> I said, I know the guy that you you produce his morning show. And and I, she's like, yeah. <laughs> uh. I called because I realized I was being kind of a jerk to oh. play you for a fool. And now you're inviting me to a play. And it was probably five years before she ever <gasps> confessed that that was her little brother, Timmy. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. But you kept, yeah. you kept her in the fold, though. So that's good. Yeah. 30 years. 30 years now. Oh, she's wow. been my executive producer. She was my roommate for nine. Oh, wow. So. And, you, and your show has been going for 35, 36 years now? I've been on the air. Um, this year will be like 48 years. But I've been doing this show in particular for 38 years. 38. Amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Well, congratulations for the success, but Thank I think it really you. it really speaks to how you speak to the souls mm -hmm. of so many people. Yeah. Can we start at the very beginning, as beginning as we can get? What was it like growing up as Delilah? Well, I've I'm still the same person today that I was, you know, the day God brought me into this world. So, I've always been somebody who talks too much, who does too much, who takes on too much, who is involved in way too much. And so it was very frustrating for my parents, I'm sure. Um, the day that I got the opportunity to go into radio, I won a speech contest. And at the end of the contest, the two men who were the judges for the contest approached my mom and said, wow, your daughter really likes to talk. Because <laughs> there were five categories and I entered four of them. Oh my God. And my mom started apologizing, saying, oh my God, we don't know what to do. We cannot shut her up. <laughs> and uh, the two men said, no, 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 this is a good thing. We own a radio mm. station. We can harness that energy. Uh, Amazing. Uh, which was probably the first time my mom ever was complimented on the fact that her daughter never quit talking. How old were you then? 14. 14. Oh, wow. And so from there, I mean, they gave you an opportunity. Was there anybody that you went to or, or your family to try and support your, your career path? Did anybody give you advice on how to, to grow in that endeavor? I, I'm also a talker and I, I, you know, I went to a few people for advice and, and Jonathan and I had, it was like drones of a bagpipe in harmony as we were uh, growing up, never stopped talking, but it, it worked for us to have yeah. that gift of the gab. As you were describing yourself, I was like, uh, I have a, I have your twin sitting beside yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I grew up in a really small town and this was back in the seventies. I was born in 1960 and there were no women in broadcasting. 
I had Barbara Walters to look up to mm-hmm. and that was it. You know, there were no women newscasters. Um, Stephanie Shelton came along in the 70s, but there were no women entertainers. I'm the first, Drew, I'm the first woman to be inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame in 38 years. Oh my gosh, wow. Yeah, it's all men. It's a male-dominated mm-hmm. field. It's, and, and I'm not talking about there's a few women. There were none, none. Hmm. Um, and I lived in a town of 3000 people. So there wasn't, there wasn't really anyone to go to, but God in his wisdom placed me in that town for a reason. And the reason, uh, a multitude of reasons, but the Carnegie brothers who owned the local radio station were a huge part of that reason. Hmm. And they had an engineer named Wes Lockard and Wes and Stephen Jerome, um, could see that I had way too much energy and they could see that I looked and sounded a lot more mature than I was. So when I was 15 or 16, I looked like I was 19 or 20. And they just stepped up to the plate and said, we know we know where that path leads. Let's mm. just insert ourselves in here and give you something to think about it and focus on rather than the boys that have already graduated from mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I, I can't thank God enough for that because radio became my, my passion, my love. Um, and it gave me, it gave me a reason to behave. It gave mm. me a reason to stay <laughs> out of trouble. Mm. I n- never once, you know, I was raised in the seventies. Everybody was getting high and getting drunk on Friday and Saturday nights in our little town and I never, as God is my witness, I never once did because I was so afraid that I would lose my position at the station. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And and with the, is it the Kanegi brothers? The Kanegi, Stephen Jerome Kanegis. So with Jerome, them and, the Lord called Jerome home last year mm-hmm. and Steve and I are still in touch. With them in your corner, was it still difficult for you to navigate the industry? The industry is brutal. It's brutal. Um, it's changed so much now. Now, every radio station in America, you know, is practically owned by five or six companies. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, it, you could only own, when I started, you could, you were only allowed to own one radio station. And then the FCC permissioned you to have two, an AM and an FM. So it was very competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if If you got ticked off at your program director or your general manager, you'd say, fine, I'll just take my audience and go across town and, and you'll lose out on all your ratings. Can't do that now. Cause they own across town. <laughs> um, but, but I just, I've been so blessed. I have no complaints. There were a lot of challenges. I've been fired a lot, but you know, God used every, every time a door closed, a much better one opened. You've been named one of the most influential women in radio. You're one of the most influential people in radio, not just a woman in radio. On top of all that, you said there were a lot of hurdles that you had to jump over to get to where you are. And there were a lot of men in radio that never had to deal with those same struggles. So when you've moved on from projects or have you been let go or fired, what were the reasons you were let go? 90% of the time, 80% of the time, it's just format changes. Mm. You know, I'd land at a station, I'd be so excited, I'd be kicking butt, I'd be bringing in the ratings. 
And then they decide, oh, let's go to a jazz format. Mm-hmm. Let's go to an, uh, an oldies format. And as, or they would get sold. And once they mm-hmm. got sold, the new station owner would bring in a new program director who would then bring in his five favorite you know, people to be on the air. Mm-hmm. So most of the time it was stuff like that. Uh, but once it was because I was an idiot and I mm-hmm. deserved to be fired. And um, You can't just tell us that. You need to tell us why. <laughs> well, I was I was young, so I was in the the company news car doing um, traffic reports every morning and every afternoon in Eugene, and I might have been going a little too fast a few times. <laughs> and one time, I had to get to a news story. There was an accident I was trying to get to, and they were blocking my way. So I got in the little news car up on the sidewalk to get to the scene <laughs> so I could record it. The officer was not happy about that. <laughs> and so I um, got called into the boss's office because there were three traffic infractions in the news car, two for speeding and one for hopping up on the, I don't remember what it was called for hopping up on the sidewalk. But it led to your current show and it led to, and I was going to say, when you hopped up on the curb and the police didn't like it, you at that time you hadn't honed your soothing ways to uh exactly exactly then i was delilah luke doing doing news and traffic on kpnw um i had not yet uh landed in my calling but yeah that that i was i was so i did so many dumb things as a young person i think that's that's a prerequisite yeah to shape you into who you are yeah you learn (laughs) you live you you grow so tell us about your finding your voice, moving from those early shows that you were a part of and uh, moving into your current show. It's, was that, um, did you have a moment where you st- stepped back to say, what am I really doing? What is my calling? What do I want to do in radio now that you have so much experience? And then you made the decision or did the show come to you? Um, I wanted to do something unique. I didn't just want to do time and temp, you know, it's 7.15 and this is Barry Manilow. So what? I -hmm. wanted to do something compelling. And so every week I I worked for one of the two female program directors in America at the time. uh, And every week I'd give her a new proposal. Chris, you know, because the station that I was working at was a rock station and it flipped formats to soft rock. And I was one of, you know, two or three people that was kept on board. Everybody else was fired, but because I hadn't really established myself as a personality, I was kept on board to do time and temp. And so I was trying to do something unique and I would give Chris proposals and I would say, the station is foreign about women. Let's do women's programming. Let's talk about women's health issues. Let's cover women's sports. Oh, wait, there aren't any. You know, that was 1984. Uh, the Women's Basketball Association was just starting up. Let's let's talk about that. Let's get some of the basketball players in. So every week I would give her a proposal. And then one night it dawned on me that, because I was seven to midnight then, that my phone lines never stopped ringing. And people would call to say, you know, I want to hear, you know, Bette Midler's new hit. Mm. Then they would tell me why. They weren't calling because the song was popular. They were calling because it connected with something in their heart. And back then we didn't have digital recording devices. We had reel-to-reel tapes. And I hit record on the tape. 
all night long, people would, you know, because the thing I loved about being in the studio at night was talking to my listeners, talking to my fan base. And the stories, Drew, they told me blew my mind. And so I recorded them. And then I edited some of them down and put them on a, a cassette. And I left a note for Chris and I said, Chris May is my program director. I said, these stories are far more impactful than the songs I'm playing. Mm -hmm. Can I put some of this on the air? And she gave the proposal to a man named Dana Horner, who was our general manager. And she put a sticky note on the front that said, here's another damn proposal from Delilah. What are we going (laughs) to do with her? And Dana wrote back, let's give her a shot. That's your show name, Damn Delilah. Yeah, (laughs) that damn proposal. Um, (laughs) And so she came to me and she said, listen, there's a station in Portland, Kink, that's doing this cool thing at night called Quiet Storm or Lights Out. Let's let's do your version of something unique where you put the listener calls on the air and play softer music than I'm scheduling during the day. And I said, let's do it. And we started that week. And within one ratings period, four months later, we were number one. It's amazing. And she was only letting me do it from nine until midnight. But after we climbed to number one, she said, go ahead, do the seven to midnight. And uh, the station wasn't even really in the ratings from seven till midnight. And at the end of the year, we were number one times 10. That's amazing. We'd had like a 1.2 share at night and we had an 18 share back in those days. Which meant 18% of the listening audience in Seattle was listening. And that's when I knew that I knew that I knew. And it took many more years, 12 more years, 10 more years before I was able to get it into syndication Mm -hmm. and prove. Because every time I'd go to a syndicator, they're like, yeah, this is really weird. Oh, this is only working because this is only, but it'll never fly in the big market. So I went to Boston and it became number one. And I got fired and I went to Philly and it became number one and I got fired. Mm. And finally, um, a man named Ken Spitzer and another man named Mike McVeigh said, you know what? We believe in you and we're willing to put our money where our mouth is and we're going to help you get syndicated. And they took it from three stations to 12 stations in one year. And we were number one on all 12 stations. And they said, okay, now we're going to shop you. And they sold me to a company in Seattle. So I was able to not just move home, Drew, but move to the house that I bought in 1982 when I was 21 years old. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So how did, how did it feel at that point to go from three to 12 and now all over? How did it feel to have your voice heard? When we got on in all 50 states, that was, that was an amazing mm. high. I I mean, I still love, I'm in my barn right now. My studio is in my barn Mm. since COVID hit. I still love being on the air as much today as I did, you know, in 1974, 76. You can hear people that, who I know listen today still as they did when they were younger. It's the same show and it's that same comfort and it's your same voice. I think there is something comforting and nostalgic to have that, you know, yeah. connection. But what what is, do you find, I feel that people can open up to you more than they might to, to their people in their family or their relationships or other other radio stations. Well, but I would never think to open up to a radio show host. I would never think of, you know, doing that. But with you, it's 
just natural. Like, of course I'll tell Delilah anything. <laughs> so why is no, that? Isn't that weird? You know, when, when we're doing, when we're working with families on, on renovating a house, uh, designing their space and trying to, you know, it's transformational for them too, to have a home the way that they hoped and dreamed it would be that they never thought they could have. But we do sometimes feel like we have to be therapists working with a family to get them to agree on what they're looking for, to, to take away the stress of what a renovation can do. But you as well, with everything that you do, you are truly an ultimate therapist. How does that role for you um, play out with, with the callers that call into you for that sort of support? Well, if I think they need a therapist, I will say you need to talk to a professional. I can't diagnose you. I don't know if you, if you, you know, they're, they ask me specific questions. I don't know. I don't know if, if this is a diagnosis that you need to go get, but you need mm. to. And we have a huge notebook in our studio that I used to work out of that had a thousand different resources mm. in it, you know, that I could say call the suicide hotline or call this counselor or, or call, um, you know, there's there's support groups for everything. You know, a person called me one time who had been abused by a priest as a child. And I'm like, let me look that up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, in my book, there is a hotline to call mm. for people who have been abused mm. um, by members of the clergy. So if it's a situation uh, where somebody really truly needs a professional, I will say this is way out of my league. Mm. Um, if it's just that most people... Most people who call me or write to me with a Delilah dilemma already know the answer. Mm -hmm. They already know what they need to do. They just need a, a, an outside voice to give them permission a lot of times. Yeah, well, it's also that power of listening without judgment. I think it's yeah. a, a huge thing. So and I think that that comes through. I think people can tell when they hear my show, when they listen to me, that most of my wisdom comes from... The school of hard knocks. Most of my wisdom comes from the fact that I broke all the rules. I mm. still break all the rules. I will always break all the rules. And we hear that you still work five days a week, five hours a night. I mean, how do you do it all? And what inspires you to continue to do what you do? I love my listeners. Mm. And I believe that we live in a crazy world where there's so much division. Mm -hmm. There's so much anger. There's so much animosity. And a lot of programming and news is like created to bring about more division. Mm -hmm. It's created to bring about more division. Let's, you know, they, they say, let's talk about racial issues, but let's use inflammatory words so that we know that we're mad at everybody and that there is no harmony. Mm. That doesn't, that's, that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help anybody. If we're going to have real conversations, let's have real conversations. Let's look honestly at the problems. Mm -hmm. Let's come up with solutions. Let's work together in harmony. And and I really feel like my show does that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's it's not a show for and about women that excludes men. It's not a show, you know, programmed for one minority or against one minority. Mm -hmm. It's not left leaning. It's not right leaning. It's not political. It's a show about love and about relationships and about family and about hopes and about dreams. And that's what you do. You know, that's what your show is about. And we need a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. And a lot less of the garbage that brings about division and anger and um, name calling and mm -hmm. and that 
that haughty superiority where I know better than you. I, I'm smarter than you. I'm, I'm more enlightened than you. I'm more woke than you. That's all Mm -hmm. crap. That's all crap. At the end of the day, we're humans who need each other, who love our Mm -hmm. kids, who love our communities, who are doing the best that we can do. Let's figure out ways to do better, to be kinder. How do we change that? That's the thing that I always go through my mind. I mean, it's it feels like one heart at a time. One, yeah. there you one go. heart at a time, Drew. <laughs> exactly. You do it one heart at a time. You know, there's a lot of people who want to talk about racial relationships, and I'm like, why don't you come and have dinner with my family? Mm-hmm. I mean, you too. Why don't you come and have dinner with my family? Mm-hmm. There's a morning guy who shares your name in Florida. His <laughs> name is Drew. And I got to sit in his studio and he was, you know, going after somebody. He's kind of a shock jock. And he finished. He's like, I bet that isn't something Delilah would say. And I said, let me tell you this. You and I are aligned very much alike in the way that we live our lives, Drew. But you're giving your information in shove and I'm trying to do it in love. Mm. And guess what? Mine will be received and yours will not. Mm. Because when you're giving information or your opinion in shove, you're shoving the people away who disagree with you. Mm. And you're building a fan base of like-minded people who are just patting each other on the back or patting Mm. you on Mm. the back. That's not, that's not communicating. That's not problem solving. That's not healing. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. I think it was, it's really... Interesting how much you share about the love in your household and how many foster children that you've brought into into your home. Can you talk a little bit about um, your family? Well, my, my firstborn son, I was married to his dad, who has since passed away, who is black. And so our son is biracial, but he looks very much more like his father than he does like his mother. And we made sure that he was exposed um, to the black community and felt very much a part of that. Not that he was like, you know, my special little mixed kid, but that he had his roots firmly planted in the black community. And that wasn't the case with other members of his family that were mixed. One young woman in his family who is mixed told me, I didn't know until I was 18 years old and moved to California that I was black. Mm. She said, I didn't know until people started calling me, you know, slang terms and hanging out with me that I was considered black. And she said, what a shock to wake up one day and realize that the world saw me as a black person. And I'm like, wow, I don't want that ever Mm. to be my son's experience. So when he was 12, um, I was blessed with a daughter that's 10 years younger and her father, my second husband was, is Hispanic. So my daughter is mixed, um, half Hispanic, half white, but she is a spitting image of me. Mm. She is blonde haired, blue eyed. 
And my son had been begging for a sibling. And when Shayla was born, he just loved her. But he said, Mom, I really want a brother I can play with. (laughs) And so I thought, you know what? We can do that. And I set to adopt one boy. I wanted to adopt a son that was close in age to my son. And because my son is mixed Black and my daughter is mixed Hispanic, when when I went to get a home study done, I was considered a biracial, a multiracial family. Mm. And um, they found a young man to place in our family. And uh, we met him, fell in love with him. He was 11 at the time. And I set to adopt him. I That was my purpose in my heart to adopt him. Well, after we met him, we found out that him was a sibling group and that he had siblings also in foster care. Mm. And so I thought, well, we can't split these kids up. They got to go on camping trips together or yeah. spend time together. And if you read one one heart at a time, you know what happened. I ended up adopting all three of them. And in the process of that, so I had my son who was 12, Manny who was 11, Tanji who was uh, 10, and TJ who was eight. I think that's the ages they were. And then my own biological daughter, who was four, I found out at 39 years old, I was pregnant. So I went from two children to six children in 18 months. Oh, wow. And that was it. That was uh, Manny was the only one I purposefully set out <laughs> to adopt at the time. That was it. That's his, that, was, that was more than enough. But as each year went on, I would say, no more. I can't do any more. <laughs> I am tapped out. I am at the end of my rope. God would bring a child into my life somehow, some way who needed a mama. Mm-hmm. Wasn't my idea. I didn't, I didn't set out to adopt 12 kids. I set out to adopt one. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I do best besides radio is loving kids. Mm-hmm. So uh, our family just kept growing and growing. When I met my husband, I had eight. And he's like, you're done, right? Because I'm done. If we're going to continue down this path together, you need to be done. <laughs> I said, well, every time I declare that I'm done, God declares I'm not finished yet. So we have a five-year-old and my husband is 67. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Three are biological. One of my my youngest biological son is in heaven. Uh, I lost a son in 2012, an adopted son to sickle cell. I lost my son, Zach, my bio son in uh, 2017. And then we lost my stepson in 2019. So we got a we got a whole family waiting for us on the other side. I, I actually have a, a question about that too. With how many you help so many people, a lot of people calling in too. You know that may be dealing with um, depression or dealing with uh, different aspects of, of their life or their relationships um, that are really tough. And in in your own life, you've had to deal with depression um, from your son. You spoke about it uh, as well, and, and so much loss, and and so much loss. How do you? How how do you personally cope or who do you go to to help you through these situations? I think the biggest gift I gave myself after I lost Zach was I contacted a grief counselor. Mm. I have a dear friend, Debbie Maycomer, who is a very famous author who happened to live in the town that I lived in. And she lost her son to suicide two years before I lost mine. Mm. And she gifted me with the name of a really good grief counselor. And that was 
such a huge blessing. Um, her other son, her son that is still alive, came to my house. He counseled my kids. Mm. He counseled me. Um, he met with my children more than once. He's a uh, principal of a local school. Mm. And, you know, he continues to this day to reach out. Mm. Um, and then, and and God, you know, <laughs> Mm-hmm. If, if you if you read the Song of Songs or the Book of Psalms, there's a lot of grieving going on in there, and a lot of love and support. I, I would assume too, from my end, that you have your listeners, and you have so many people out there that just they feel they know you because of how much you touch them in their lives. And so, I would only assume that you have this big support net of people out there that were sending their love your way too. I do, and then after Zach passed, I really. Um, became focused to talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, what I have to say about it goes contrary to the status quo. So a lot of people were eager to have me talk at first until they heard my take on it. And then they're like, oh, that's not what we want you to say. So Mm -hmm. shutting up now. Um, But we have a huge mental health crisis in our nation and we're trying to prescribe it away. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to hear me say that's not the answer. Mm. Um, it's not. The the medicine that my son was on and the medicine that most young people are on was never designed for anybody under 25 to take. Mm. They, they did studies and they found out that it was deadly for people under 25 to take. So they falsified the studies and they got it passed by the FDA And there are millions of prescriptions given to people under 25, as young as two of a drug that they know causes you to be more suicidal than before you took it. Mm. And when the FDA found out how evil this medicine was, they slapped the drug makers with a fine. And it's still one of the most prescribed things for depression. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, people... (laughs) Yeah. My son knew he had mental health issues. Mm-hmm. He was proactively getting help for it. He didn't miss his counseling appointments. Mm-hmm. He was completely vested in getting well. And the medicine that he was prescribed caused him to be delusional and caused him to think that suicide was a viable option. Actually, he didn't even think he was suiciding because in the letter he left, he thought he was time traveling. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, yeah, he must have been really high. The toxicology reports came back. He wasn't high. Mm-hmm. He wasn't drunk. He was mm. he was delusional because of a prescription that had been given him. That's really sad. And three other kids in our community near the same age made the same choices within a three or four month period. Oh my gosh. And the one thing they had in common was the prescription. I fully agree with what you're saying. It is we can't just that's sort of like this attempting to do a surface solution with a lot of um, prescriptions that people take instead of getting to the root of an issue. And especially when it comes to mental health, there needs to be a better support net for everyone. The more people that talk about mental health um, as an everyday thing that a lot of a lot more people than you would assume are uh, trying to cope with, I think it'll make it more um, less scary for people to talk about, and and it'll it'll. We find, need support. Yeah. We need support groups. Teenagers need support groups. They need people that will listen without judging and will pull out of them what's hurting. Mm-hmm. The counselor he was seeing was lovely, and mm-hmm. she really was tapping mm-hmm. into a lot of good stuff. 
but the prescription that he was given does what it does. 47% of the time that it's given to somebody under 25, it causes delusions and suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. 47% of the time. And yet it's legal. Yeah. So at, at home in your family, how do you as a family talk about mental health and um, healthy emotional and mental practices? We talk. Yeah. We talk. We talk a lot. We ask a lot of hard questions. Because my kids all come from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. none of the kids, I mean, Zach was my youngest bio child. Um, none of the kids that I've been raising are my biological children, and they all come with really different backgrounds. Um, I think maybe if they were all biological, it would be different, but because they all come from different systems, different countries, different parents, different godparents, um, they all have a lot of stuff to talk about. And the more we can talk about it, the more we put it out there, the more we process it, the more we honor it, the more we celebrate the differences. Um, Love having baby pictures or, or pictures of my kids that I adopted out of foster care, anything I can get from caseworkers to give them that sense of family and that their life didn't just start the day I found them. They had a full life before mm -hmm. I found them. And a lot of that was good stuff. Like my my daughter, the, the last one we adopted is out of foster care. She had a lot of people that love her in her, uh, the town that she came from. And so we try very hard to keep those bonds mm. strong. Is that a part um, of, uh, I know you established the foundation uh, Point Hope back in 2004. And it was that a part of the reason too, is to try and find ways that no child feels forgotten? That That's our whole mission. Point Hope, our, our slogan is a voice for every child. We wanna be a voice for the forgotten children. We got half a million kids uh, in this country, I don't know what Canada is like, but in America, we have 487,000 kids in foster care. Now that the pandemic has hit, that number is going up ex exponentially mm -hmm. because of depression, because people have lost jobs and mm -hmm. uh, drug abuse and all those things. And those kids need an advocate. They need a voice. They need to know that they're special, that they're precious, that they have great worth, that they have great value, mm -hmm. that God created them for a purpose. And, and so we try to, to, to be a voice for that and to come up with practical ways. I mean, it's one thing to say that, but what's a practical way to show it? Well, we mm -hmm. open closets of hope, hope closets, so that kids in foster care can go and get a prom dress mm -hmm. or can go and get a new pair of shoes or find a pair of soccer cleats mm -hmm. so that they're not punished for 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 being in, in the system. Yeah. I would love if you can give from your years and years of experience speaking to people about their relationships or helping them talk through decisions that they have to make. What, what's some advice that you can give to people uh, about how to truly have a healthy relationship with their spouse, with their children? What, what, what is a healthy relationship? Oh gosh, I've had so many unhealthy ones, <laughs> romantic ones. Um, the, the for me, the key to a healthy romantic relationship, a healthy relationship with your partner, with my husband, is respect. Respect. When you don't respect the person that you are partnered with, you are going to have 
a really unhealthy relationship. When you roll your eyes because you're disgusted at what they just said or what they just did, that's not love. Mm -hmm. that's, that's quite the opposite of love. And when I hear people bad-mouthing their partner or their spouse, I'm not talking about complaining, saying I need a solution because this is hurting me. I'm talking about bad-mouthing or disrespecting your husband or your wife, your partner. Your relationship is, is never going to work. Mm. It's never going to work. So for me, respect is the main key. I wish that I had known that when I was younger, but I was a hopeless romantic that was all about romantic love and passion and passion and mm -hmm. chemistry and, you know, passion. that excited feeling. <laughs> that only lasts so long. Uh, but respect, respecting each other is key. The other thing is understanding each other's love language. There's a sweet little book that came out probably 20 years ago about the five different love languages. And I was given it as a gift. And the person who gave it to me thought it would help me in my then marriage. Um, but I apply it more, much more to my kids. Because when you understand the love language of your partner or your children, you are much better able to communicate your love for them mm -hmm. and they'll be able to receive it. So understanding, like you guys obviously touch is your top love language. I see you holding hands. Mm -hmm. I see you snuggling. You naturally lean into each other. Um, I can tell you, you guys have an amazing marriage just based on the authentic affection that you show, that you've shown this entire conversation. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. Well, Linda makes Touch it easy. Touch is one of mine for sure. Oh yeah, 100%. and he's learned that. I've but but that that's really cool. I've never heard someone talk about the five love languages using that knowledge and information for other relationships, not just romantic ones. It's vital. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. vital in all your primary relationships. Mm -hmm. so, humans really only have the capacity to have between you know three and ten primary relationships. Um most of the time. But when you tap into, I believe, the love of the Almighty, it's like a river that flows through you and there's limitless um, love that you will have. You only have 24 hours in a day though. So how do you communicate that love to multiple people? How do you communicate that love to multiple people? You have to know their love language. Mm. My daughter, Shayla, I could send her the best gifts in the entire universe and chances are she would never open them. If she did open them, she would never acknowledge them or if she did acknowledge them it would be, yeah, thanks. You know, thanks mom. Thanks for the you know microwave cart that I sent last week. I don't look to her to validate our relationship based on tangible gifts because that is not her love language. Mm -hmm. Never has been, never will be. When she graduated, I probably found 50 gifts in her closet that weren't even open. Oh, wow. She doesn't care. She doesn't care yeah. about stuff. She could care less about stuff. Her brother, Zach, the boy that we lost, um, he, his love language was tangible gifts. If I went out of town because I have to go to our office in New York or to L.A. or wherever, and I didn't bring him back a gift in my suitcase, I clearly didn't love him. Mm. And so what I figured out was I would buy the gift before I left. Mm. <laughs> I would put it in my suitcase 
because, you know, he, there's only so much crap you can buy at an airport. Yeah. I'd, I would buy the gifts before I left. I had them hidden in my closet. <laughs> I'd put it in my suitcase. So as soon as I pulled up at home, he'd run out. He'd open my suitcase. He knew the little pocket where his gift would be in. And there it was. Uh-huh. That was his love language. That's so cute. And And when you truly care about somebody, you care about learning how they will receive that love. Mm. And and that becomes a primary drive. Mm. Uh, my son, Sonny, my oldest son, it's all about physical. He loves to hug mama bear. I love to hug him. Um, my husband, our, both of our primary love languages touch. And just like you two, you'll always see us, you know, leaning mm-hmm. into each other and holding hands. And uh, so... So respect and learning how your partner or your family member gives and receives love is so vital. That's such great advice. Thank you for sharing that as well. Knowing that we are longtime listeners of your show. I, kind of I feel, love that. I kind of feel I you know what we are hoping for as if we were calling A dedication. Okay. So there's a song that is my life theme song. Um, and just seeing you two interact together and you know what I love, Linda, mm-hmm. when I see you look at Drew, you look like you're a 15 year old in love. Oh. There's so much, um, seriously, there's so much love in your eyes and in your face when you look at each other that I am going to suggest that when we get off this call, you go play the song. I could not ask for more. Who's it by? Uh, Edwin McCain does one version. Joshua Cadison does a version. I'll be your kind for her. Isn't that, isn't that it? Edwin McCain? No, I don't think that's the one, right? Is that a different song? Actually, but... it is. That's your keep going. It is? Yeah. I'll, it's called I'll Be, isn't it? Or what? I could not yeah, ask for more. Yeah, okay. I'll Be. Yes. I could not ask for more. I, I'm not Edwin McCain, but uh, I will pull that up All and right. I'll play it after this. Thank play you. Play it for It's just. It's such a beautiful song. And when you know, like you guys know, that, you know, it's great that you have a career. It's great that you love to remodel houses. It's great that, you know, God has blessed you financially, blah, blah, blah. But when you know that you know that if that were all gone tomorrow, if you woke up and you were living in a trailer on my property tomorrow, that you would still have each other and that you would be completely content with what God has given you, that is when you, that that's when you're living your best life. Mm-hmm. I'd be so happy if that yeah, happened because we would have farm to table food. <laughs> oh, we have. Let me tell you about the food. We planted over a hundred tomato plants today, and by we, I mean my sister in law because I was working on the floor all day. But um, San Marzano's oh. and yellow globes oh and God. black oh rims. I, the, hold on a second. This is I need. I have a bone to pick with you here. Overachiever. I mean, how do you? The amount of radio you're on the radio every day. You, well, you do five days a week. You are doing your own design work and you're physically tiling your home. You have this giant uh, farm and so much great food. Are you sure you're not the twin? I don't understand how you do so many things. It just sounds like you have so much energy and so much to give. I love it. Uh, I do have a lot of energy. Um, I have a wonderful support system. Uh, Janie, my producer, uh, does a lot of the work. And then we have 14 people on our staff Mm -hmm. that make it all happen. 
And I love to garden and I love to work on houses and I love to do artwork and I make my kids help me on everything. So they're a part of it. Um, Delilah Jr., who is 12, is doing a science section on plants. So guess what part of her, we're homeschooling. So guess what? Her whole science section has been the last few weeks. Tomatoes. Tomatoes. (laughs) Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know what I think we need to do? We need to do remotely, since we're in different cities, we need to do some sort of like a, a craft or a, a design project or something fun. Okay. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll come up with something that Delilah Jr. can, uh, can tackle. I don't know. So, so yesterday, Delilah Jr. And, and Paul Adam, Paul Jr., who is named after my husband. And by the way, I didn't name Delilah or Paul. Their birth mother, they have the same birth mother. I have three of her children. Um, she named them, but mm. they made ceramic tile that are going to go in my floor mosaic. Oh. And we got them back from the kiln yesterday. And so she and her brother were painting them, glazing them. And then I took them back to the school to get them fired. So next time we talk, we'll probably have them back and you will see their amazing artwork. Oh. That's going to be part of the floor mosaic. That's amazing. I, I think the last time he said you were, you have some, um, or you have a fundraising event. Um, Farm to Feast. Yeah. Farm to Feast. We didn't get to do it last year. Nobody got to do anything last year. Um, But that is, that is our big fundraiser. And it's so much fun because, you know, we've had some really amazing artists that have come and performed. So it's fun. Well, we look forward to coming. And all the food is food from my farm. So we, we raise it, we cook it, we serve it that day. We literally pick it that morning and serve the food that afternoon. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. It sounds like heaven. There's crafting. There's farm to table. This is is a dream of ours. We (laughs) want to have our own destination that's sort of this inspiring hub for family and friends and farm to table and like we said, crafting, pottery, everything. So maybe instead of us creating our own, we'll just come and use yours. (laughs) You're welcome to do that. You are welcome to do that. I know we can talk forever, but it's late uh, for you. So are you ready for a speed round? Okay, yes. Okay. We're ready. I'm ready. What meal makes you feel at home and who cooked it? Pork chops and applesauce by my mom, Wilma Dean. She's long gone, but that was my favorite meal. I love my mom's pork chops and and applesauce. Uh, Pork chops and applesauce. (laughs) What's your perfect Sunday morning at home? Um, Art. Working on an art project, um, we celebrate the Sabbath from sundown Friday till sundown Saturday. And Sunday we hang out. My husband makes a huge breakfast, usually fried potatoes and vegetables and sausage from our farm. So Amazing. Hmm. What song reminds you of home? Country music. Country music, like Waylon Jennings. My dad was in a country western band. So Mm. uh, when I hear old country music, like um, Glenn Campbell, uh, Wichita Lineman. My dad worked for the power company, so Wichita Lineman was a favorite. Mm. What three things are on your bedside table? (laughs) I have to unbury my bedside table. (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea what's there right now. A nebulizer machine for my son who has asthma. Uh, that's one thing that's on the bedside table. Probably a ton of books. Um, clothes I haven't put away. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, so what you're saying is you uh, you need uh, an organizer to come over and help with that side of the project. Oh my gosh, do I need an organizer? <laughs> do I need a housekeeper right now? <laughs> Well, yeah. Thank you so much for everything that you do just to support people and, and spread love and and encourage people to communicate more um, because I honestly think that kind of stronger communication with all of us is a solution for us all to be on a happier planet. Mm-hmm. People would talk less and listen more. We wouldn't have the problems that we have. Yeah. Everyone just needs Linda's love language. More hugging. More hugging. Yeah, and uh, less, less More fighting. listening, more yeah. hugging. Can I say a quick prayer for you guys before we go? Oh, sure. yes, that'd be yeah. so nice. Father God, I thank you for uh, Drew and Linda. I thank you for the life that you are weaving together. I thank you, God, for all the blessings they have. God, I feel like there's some, uh, some requests that their heart has made, and I ask that uh, you would just honor that and grant them the desires of their heart. I pray for health, for strength, for family unity, for peace. And God, I just pray that you would continue to use them in a mighty way to light to light a candle in a dark world. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank Amen. you so much. Amen. Thank you. I think it's so cool that one woman's voice can touch so many. And it can evoke so many emotions. Mm-hmm. Delilah's voice has been a part of my life for so many years. And I just, it, it's a reminder to, to just be a loving person and to share that love with your community and support people, whether you know them or not. I think we could all spread a little bit of love. And uh, speaking of supporting our community, we love to focus on bringing light to great makers out there. So remember, touch base with us on social media at at home. You can DM us. And tell us about your company, what you're doing to spread some passion and positivity in your environment. And we want to know what your company is. Yeah, and we'll post those links in our show notes along with links to Delilah's stuff. And a huge thank you to our homies, Brandon Angelino, Annalie Bell, Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis, Wes Friend, Chris Cobain, Jessica Bryant-Harvey, and Nicole Schachter. Our theme music for At Home is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And music is composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you do enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate us. Always rate us. We love you rating and commenting. Yeah, we actually like your feedback. And to you, thank you. Thank you. Love you. Love you. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. (laughs) Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.